Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I wonder if Daniel thought, oh well, (laughs) looks like this is it. I've had a good run. Remember, he's in his 80s probably at this point. I've had a good run and I uh, really wouldn't have chosen to end up as Purina Cat Chow uh, as a way to go out. Daniel and the Lion's Den. It's one of the most beloved and well-known stories in all of the Bible. What do you think Daniel was thinking as he was lowered down into the den? Do you think he wondered if this might finally be the end for him? We may not know exactly what was going through Daniel's mind at that moment, but one thing we do know for certain, Daniel trusted God. God's sovereignty means that he is over this situation and this world in a way that even if I don't quite understand what's going on, I can trust in the fact that God is at work. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue our series through the book of Daniel, we come today to the story of Daniel in the lion's den. As I said a moment ago, it's one of the best known stories in all of the Bible. But just because we may be familiar with the story doesn't mean that we can't learn a thing or two from it. It's not the outcome that really matters. It's what comes out that really matters. Today, Pastor Clay is going to show us that in this life, there are several things we can count on, so you'll want to stay with us. Thanks for joining us today. If you have your Bible handy, open it to Daniel chapter 6 as we talk about trust. Now here's Pastor Clay. I was in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Actually, I'd been working outside of uh, Nairobi. I'd been working uh, outside of a city called Kasumu, uh, which was about, uh, oh, I don't know, it was a number of hours drive from Nairobi. Uh, We were taking part in what was known as, uh, what was called the the Western Kenya Crusade. We were out near the Uganda border, and some of it is very beautiful country, right on Lake Victoria and all that kind of stuff. And uh, on our, what was to be our last day in country, we came back. Uh, Ni- or just outside of Nairobi, and we stayed in kind of a compound right outside of Nairobi. And uh, the next day, they were going to uh, take us, uh, you know, it's just kind of a, you know, deeper, just kind of come down, you know, because it's just a lot. You're working hard, and, it's, you know, you're seeing God do lots of stuff. And so they were going to take us to uh, Nairobi National Park on the last day. And uh, it's a beautiful place, and it's just tens of thousands of acres, basically just fenced off with these high fences, and the animals just are there. They just do the giraffes, the lions, the tigers, oh my. They're just everywhere, uh, you know, doing their thing, just, just living out, out in, in the wild and all that stuff, and you're able to, to drive through there and see them. So that's what they're going to take us to do. But uh, the, uh, the day that we were supposed to go, the next day, we're in camp, it's the evening, you know, we're at this compound where we're staying, and the next day uh, was going to be, it was July 7th, and uh, just by coincidence, it happened to be the anniversary of a big uprising that there had been in, in Kenya. There had been this big political uprising and rioting and all this kind of stuff. And this was the anniversary of that event. And this happened to be the seventh anniversary of that event. Y'all with me so far? Okay. Seventh anniversary of this event that took place in the seventh month on the seventh day. So in other words, it was 777 or what they called Simba, Simba, Simba. I think it's what, what they said. And so, for whatever reason, I don't know if there's something, you know, significant about it being the seventh year, just the fact that it was the seventh month, seventh day, all that kind of stuff, but they were expecting trouble 
on the anniversary of that uprising. They were expecting there to be political riots and all that kind of stuff. And so the United States Embassy issued a warning for any Americans in Kenya to not uh, really be best to not even be out on the streets, uh, to not be out on the roads in, in Kenya really at all tomorrow. But whatever you do, whatever you do, don't go near Nairobi. Stay, stay away, stay inside. So uh, I took this trip with the seminary. I was in seminary at the time, and uh, Dr. I- Keith Idle uh, was heading up the trip. And Dr. Idle, you know, he, he spent some time on the mission field a number of years. And so he just kind of lived by the, the, you know, the rule of kuna matata. You know, it's, it, it's a bit all right. You know, whatever. It's fine. And uh, so, you know, some are saying, you know, Dr. Idle, you know, it's the U.S. Embassy. You know, they probably know a little. So, ah, don't worry about it. Uh, we're not going anywhere near Nairobi. We're going to the National Park. We'll go way around Nairobi. not going to be anywhere near that. Well, uh, Dr. Idle, it's a long story, but anyway, Dr. Idle and, and his van and another van left out in front of our van. There were seven or eight of us had to wait for a third van. They didn't have enough vans. So we, they left. We, we waited. Our van finally came. We got in. We left. You still with me? Okay, so we're heading to Nairobi National Park, not going anywhere near uh, the, the city of Nairobi, going around it. And we start coming to these roadblocks, road checks along the way. And all these soldiers are there. You know, they got their AK-47s and all that stuff. And, and this was my first overseas trip. And you don't, you don't really, you don't see a lot of people standing around in the corner with AK-47s here in America and stuff. You know, you just, it's not the time you see a lot. And so that was kind of like, you know, they got these, you know, spikes, road guard and all that kind of stuff. Um, but whatever. And so uh, Dr. Idle said, Akuna Matata. And so we, we kept going. And... Uh, Dr. Idle, here's what happened. Dr. Idle decided after he went through a few of these roadblocks with his two vans, ooh, maybe it's not a good idea to be, actually be out here on the road today. So they turn around and go back to the compound where we were staying. But by this time, our van had already left, and apparently our driver had not gotten the word as to the route in which he was to take to Nairobi National Park because we, don't, we never see Dr. Idle and them. Uh, we have no means of communication, and... Uh, we, we turn a corner, and we are in downtown Nairobi. We turn a corner, and it's a large city. We turn a corner. We're in downtown Nairobi, and I, I don't even know how to explain it, except it's just absolute mass mayhem. There are people running, screaming. Uh, uh, ar- or, you know, armored police are jumping out of armored personnel, and they're shooting, uh, uh, yeah, tear gas. And it's, and it's, I tell you, it is flying, tear gas is flying back and forth across the road in front of us. Rocks, bottles, whatever, our people are flying back and forth. And, and the, uh, the, the van driver is truly, I mean, he's, at this point, he's just floored it. He's like, I, if, if we stop, we will die. I mean, he just, he just, he just, I think he just knew that. If we stop, we die. So he's just floored it. Just, and he's turning, and the van is just rocking from side to side and, and, Crazy, crazy, crazy. I think I think I told this before, but when I, when I was in the midst of all this, I can I still in slow motion I can still remember looking up and seeing the van driver who who was a, a, a Kenyan national. I can still remember seeing the look in his eyes of absolute, complete, total terror, and I thought, "This is not good. <laughs> this is not good." Um. I, to this day, to, truly, to the best of my memory, I cannot remember a single, uh, I mean, I remember lots of rocks and bottles and all that stuff, but I don't remember a single one actually striking the van. 
um, people literally darting everywhere, tear gas. Uh, I, I think there were like 13 people actually killed that day uh, in all the rioting stuff. But, but somehow we got through that street. He turned a corner and it's just like, whew, it was gone. Again, it was just all right there in that thing. And, you know, when you're in a moment like that, I know it's kind of like, there's almost like a state of shock. It's, I mean, it's almost like a state of shock that you're in. But looking back, I, I really, I think I really thought I'm going to die today. And honestly, but for, the, but for the providence and the protection of God, I think I would have died that day along with every single person in that van. I have no doubt if the van had stopped, we would have, we would have died. And I was thinking about that and I, and I was thinking, I wonder, I wonder if at all, because this guy was so godly and he walked with God for so long, but I wonder if there was any sense of fear, any sense of terror, any sense of shock. I wonder if Daniel could have even felt a little bit like that. That day, they began to lower him down into the lion's den. I, I don't know. I, I, wonder, I wonder if Daniel thought, like, oh well, <laughs> looks like this is it. I've had a good run. Remember, he's in his 80s. We've talked about this. He's in his, he's in his early, mid-80s probably at this point. I've had a good run. And I uh, really wouldn't have chosen to end up as Purina Cat Chow uh, as a way to go out. But... I've walked with God long enough to know that I can trust God and that whatever God has, God has. I, I, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Be, because I, I know this. Uh, I've lived long enough to know this. That, that that's an important principle to learn about faith or trusting in God. And those, I'm kind of using those terms synonymously. An important principle about learning how to have faith or to trust in God is to understand that, that God's sovereignty means that, that he is over this situation and this world in a way that he works those things out. And even if I don't quite understand what's going on, I can trust in the fact that God is at work. And I would even say this statement. And some of you may not understand this statement. And I hope you do by the time we get to the end of this message. And some of you may not even like this statement. But I'm going to make it anyway. I'm going to bring it up on the screen. I want you to see this. This was, as I was just working through this message, there was a thought that came to me. It's not the outcome that really matters. It's what comes out that really matters. Now, I want you to think about that statement. I want you to chew on that statement for just a minute. It's not the outcome that really matters. It's what comes out that really matters. In other words, if I am diagnosed tomorrow with cancer... Or that, that's an easy one, right? That, I mean, just to put it on myself, that's an easy one. Or if my wife or, or, or my children or my grandchildren, if one of them were to be diagnosed with cancer tomorrow, it's absolutely right and proper and appropriate to pray that, that, that God would bring that to the outcome that I want. It's absolutely right and proper to pray, God, uh, for you to bring a healing and, and, and to, to leave me or, or leave this person here with their family, to leave me with an opportunity to continue to be with my other family and to, and to continue in the ministry that you have called me to. It's absolutely right to pray for that outcome. But it's more important to recognize what God, what comes out of that event in my life is most important. Open your Bibles uh, to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we are. It's where we were last week. That's where we'll be this week. And, uh, and we're still not going to finish it up. I want to talk to you uh, this morning and next week about trust. 
I really thought I was going to get all of this Daniel rest down six in today, but the more I, I worked on it, the more I looked at it, I thought there's just no way. There's too much to say about this first idea today. And some of it, it's going to be hard. Some of it's kind of hard to, to think about it and, and, and go through, but it's very, very important for our lives. So we're just looking. If you, if you happen to like to do the outline on the back of your uh, information sheet that you're given, we're going we're gonna to work on that, that first division statement and some of those underlying ideas from there this morning. But we're going to read Daniel. We're in chapter 6. Last week we read verses 1 through 10 and worked uh, through that and some of the distinguishing marks of Daniel that were in his life that should be in our life. Today we're reading verses 11 through 28. You guys here? You with me? You ready to hear this? I, I'm so grateful that, that you are here. I, I, I really am. I, don't, I, mean, I think I say that sometimes, but really I am. And I hope you all are listening to that better than those guys were this morning. But. In verses 1 through 10, the, the, the plot is kind of hatched out. Uh, the, the enemies of Daniel, those that hated him, uh, came to the realization that they were never going to be able to knock Daniel off. He had risen, uh, to, he was one of the top three guys in the entire kingdom under the king. And the king was about to make him the top guy under him. And, and all of the other leaders and the, the satraps, as are called, and that kind of stuff, the political heads, uh, they didn't like it. They didn't like Daniel. They wanted to knock him off, so they, they realized, hey, we're never going to find anything against this guy that we can take to the king about corruption or, or uh, bad morality or bad treatment of others or anything else. This guy's not going to do it unless we find something with his God. If we can catch him in that, then we can, then we can get him. So that, the, in verses 1 through 10, the, the, the plot is, is kind of hatched. Picking up in verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Uh, Did you not assign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. In other words, once the king signs it, once he, once he decrees that law, nobody, not even the king himself, can change that law. Verse 13, then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king established may be changed. Then the king gave orders. Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, he himself will deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. And then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day, and he went in haste 
to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Verse 21, one of the great triumphant moments in Scripture. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. And then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. And then Darius the king wrote to all the people's nations and men of every language who were living in all the land, May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Father, thank you uh, today for this magnificent, fantastic story, this record of an account of a tremendous display of a man who trusted in you. Uh, We've entitled this entire series as we walk through the book of Daniel, talking about, Lord God, uh, this this faith that Daniel held on to. He, He never wavered. In it, Father God, in, in, in the whole book, we find him just always seeming to do the right thing. It was an unbreakable faith. It was an unbelievable faith. And your promises came through each time. Would you teach us today from your word? Thanks so much for the people who are here. I don't want to waste their time. I really don't, Father. I, I want them to be attentive, and I want my words to be the words you would have me to say to them. Help us to learn about this trust in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three of them today. We'll look at one of them. One of these ideas about trust in our lives. And here's the first one. You can trust that trouble will come. Can I get a hearty amen? You can trust that trouble will come. Gee, that's encouraging. Stay with me. Let's look at verse 11 again, 11 through 13. I'm going to read it to you again. I want you to hear it. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Didn't you sign this injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days, they're supposed to be cast in the lion's den? Well, yes, I did. The king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. And then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed. Notice they get that in, that injunction which you signed. 
but keeps making his petition three times a day. You don't, you don't have to have much of an imagination to be able to imagine the, the satisfaction on the faces of those men as they sprung this trap. They had set it up, as I, as I said earlier, and as we looked at last week, they had been confounded by, by Daniel's morality, by Daniel's righteousness. They knew they were never going to find anything to, to bring a charge against him to the king. And they were jealous of him. They wanted what he had. They wanted the position that he had and was about to have. They wanted the, the position that he had with the king. We'll talk more about that next week, but obviously there was a close relationship between them. They wanted the prestige that Daniel had. They wanted the power that Daniel had. They were jealous and they hated Daniel. They hated him. And because of his consistency that we looked at last week, because of his consistency, they said, we're never going to get him on anything that we can take to the king. But wait a minute. What if we come up with something that we can catch him in? Because we know what he's going to do. We know his devotion to his God. We know how he's going to act. What if we can come up with something? And so they cook up this plan. And they, they butter the king up and they puff up his pride and they say, you know, king, you're a great guy. And, and you, you know, and, and kings and of, of that time and that era and, and of that type of culture were considered living gods themselves. King, you, we just ought to, just, to, just to show everybody how great you are, we just ought to make an injunction. 30 days, king, nobody can bow down or pray to any other god except you. You're the only one. And the king, like the rest of us, is just so frail. Isn't it amazing how easily we can fall victim to our own pride? Oh, wow, wow, I think that's a great idea. Where do I sign? Uh, Oh, king, oh, king, Uh, didn't you sign an injunction saying that uh, nobody could bow down to any god or man other than you for 30 days? I I remember something like, that's that's right, that's that's what I signed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. And you can just see it. You can just see just a kind of little wry grin come across her face. Daniel. You remember him, King? Daniel. One of those guys that we brought out of Judah years ago. Daniel pays no attention to you. And I, I, I mean, I can just see him. They're just like, oh, yeah. The trap is sprung, baby. Got Daniel right where we want him. Because they knew. But they knew Daniel's consistency. They knew exactly where he was. They knew nothing would change when that injunction was signed as far as Daniel turned. They knew he was still going to go to his room like he did three times a day. They knew he was going to be on his face, praying to his God, worshiping his God, serving his God. They knew that wouldn't change. And so they knew this trap was bulletproof. They hated him. And that's what happens. Trouble comes in to our lives, just as it did for Daniel. And, and notice, Daniel knew it was coming. You know, that's, that's one of the amazing things. It's one thing, you know, if you say, well, I, 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 I was just trying to do the right thing, and I didn't even see it coming. Daniel knew this was coming. We read it last week, but verse 10 says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, so he knows, he knows about it, he's heard about it. Hey, Daniel, they're making an injunction. They're, they're not going to let you bow down to your God for 30 days. When Daniel knew the injunction was signed, he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day and praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Nothing changed for Daniel. And so he knew it was coming. But Daniel, I suspect Daniel had walked with God long enough to know that God is over whatever men may do. Over meaning God is able to supersede. God is able to accomplish what he desires to accomplish despite, in spite of, of us and whatever else we might do. You can just trust that trouble will come in your life. Jesus knew trouble was coming into his life, his ministry when he, he, he came to this earth. 
Jesus knew that the, that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they hated him like those other guys hated Daniel. They hated the fact that the people were following him. They hated what he was teaching because he was teaching them that God wants to have this relationship with you that comes purely by faith. You don't have to work a lick for it. And, and the religious leaders, they're all about works, right? Buff my shoes, polish my ring. I, mean, I probably went stuff like that. I just made that up. But, but it was, you got to do, the, and, and so they, they hated Jesus, and Jesus knew it was coming. He, he knew this kind of stuff was just going to happen. But Jesus also, now listen, Jesus also knew that what those wicked religious men desire, their desire to stop him, and Satan's desire to stop him, Jesus also knew that God the Father was above and beyond it and had plans greater than those religious leaders or Satan or anybody else could fully understand. So he told, he told his guys, he said, listen, this is, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. Look at uh, uh, this verse in Matthew chapter 26. You, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. He just tells them it's going to happen. Look at this passage in Luke uh, 18. Then he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. All things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, notice the detail that Jesus gives about what was going to happen during that crucifixion, that he foretelling about it. After they scourge him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus knew trouble was coming, but he knew the Father had a bigger plan. See, he, this is what he knew. Jesus knew that, that the, the outcome is not what really matters. Because this outcome for Jesus is going to be bad. He's going to be dead. Dead. He's going to die a horrible death. But what would come out of it would be glorious. Because what would come out of it is the resurrection. He came out of it. As a matter of fact, he came out of the tomb. All right, thank you. My wife said amen. Some of y'all could have followed... Her lead right there, because that's a good place to say. As a matter of fact, let me say it again. Jesus came out. He came out of the tomb. <laughs> I hate having to manipulate, manipulate y'all. <laughs> anyway, he knew the outcome wasn't what really mattered. It was what would come out of it. What would come out of it would be the opportunity for you and I to be forgiven of our sins and have a glorious relationship with the living God. So Jesus knew it was coming. And by the way, he told us, it's coming. Trust, you can just trust that trouble will come. Can I remind you of this uh, verse in John chapter 16? I've told you these things so that you may have peace in me. Would you just say that last uh, paragraph, last part with me? Say it out loud. In the world, you will have much trouble. Oh, really? Really, Jesus? Did you have to add the adjective much? Couldn't you just said you're going to have trouble? No, much trouble. Thank you. Come on. But take hope. I have power over the world. You just, it's going to happen in your life. I like this. I came across, across this uh, quote from a gentleman named Ernest Wadsworth. Listen, this is good. I, I would even write this down if I was y'all. Pray for a faith that will not shrink when washed in the waters of affliction. Somebody ought to say, that's good. Because that is good. Pray for a faith that will not shrink when washed in the waters of affliction. Because affliction comes. Hard times come. Difficulties come. Okay. Um, there, are, there are basically two types of trouble that we want to look at. Two types of trouble that you can trust are going to come into your life. The first one is incidental trouble. Incidental trouble. 
It's the trouble that comes into our lives simply as a fact of existing on this planet. In other words, we live on a, in a sin-cursed world, on a sin-cursed planet, and, and trouble is simply a part of this creation, this existence ever since the fall. It's simply part of it. Nobody gets out of it. Uh, you can be a godly person or an ungodly person. You can be a rich person or a poor person. You can be a young person or an old person. You can be black, white, or pink polka dotted. You can be a, a follower of Jesus or an atheist or a Buddhist or a whatever. It's just incidental of life. Trouble comes into our lives. It happens. We don't get out of it. It's just part of of it. There is incidental trouble. You listen, you may you may look at some person's life and you say, Wow, wow, that person, that that family, it, it always it always goes great for them. They, they, they have the great uh, family, they have the great marriage, they have the, the great job, they have the, the, the great house, they get to take great vacations, they even have great teeth. It, it just always goes, it always goes good for them. Listen to me. Look right up here at me. Are you looking at me? It's a mirage. You understand what I'm saying? It's a mirage. There are no perfect lives. There are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect families. There are no perfect situations where everything goes well and there's never any trouble, never any problems, never any heartaches, never any difficulties, never any trials. It simply doesn't exist in this world. I'll never forget this guy. Uh, years ago, he, he and his wife took a marriage class that Cindy and I uh, teach from time to time. And they were in this class. And, uh, and he, he made this statement. I'll never forget this statement. Uh, and this guy was not a deep follower of Jesus. Quite honestly, I, I highly suspect that he really didn't know Christ as Savior a, at all. Uh, but he understood this principle. And here's what he said. I, I put this up on the screen for you. He says, everybody thinks that the grass is greener on the other side until they get over there and discover that it's just growing on top of a septic tank. That's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. That is a profound truth that you need to get your mind around. Because you look at that other person, you look at that other family, you say, man, oh boy, if only I had what they had. If I could just, if I could just trade places with them, boy, I'd just love to trade places with them. Be careful. Be careful what you wish for. Because you may get over there and sing a different tune. Because you don't know anything about what they go through. You don't know the struggles they have. You don't know the trials that they have. You don't know the hardships. You don't know the family issues. You don't know the physical infirmities. You might, be, you might be singing a different, you might be singing, Take me home, country roads, to the place I belong, back in my house, where it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I'm telling you, folks, that, that's what we often, nobody gets to escape some of you have heard me say this before. In the real game of life, nobody gets to pass, go, and collect $200 every spin. Everybody stops on the hard spaces sometimes. It's just incidental trouble. There's a second type of trouble that comes, and it's intentional trouble. And that is the trouble that comes into our life as a direct result of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Incidental, yep, everybody gets that. But there's also trouble that comes when you make a decision to say, Jesus Christ is my God and my Savior, and I am going to follow him. Trouble is going to come into your life as a result of making that decision. 
We talked about him some uh, last week. But Satan is a very real spiritual entity who hates anyone and everyone that decides to stand up for righteousness in a world that loves unrighteousness. That decides to stand up for truth in a world that embraces lies. That decides to, to live for the living God in a world that has no desire to live for the living God or submit themselves to his authority in their lives. And trouble, trials, persecution, whatever you want to call it, will come into your life as a direct result of doing that. Here's, here's what Jesus said in John 15. He says, remember what I told you. The servant is not greater than his master. If people did wrong to me, they'll do wrong to you too. Don't act all shocked when it happens to you. I, listen, I, I wish, wow, wow, do I wish that I could sugarcoat it. Do I, I, wish I, could, I wish I could break it to you easy. I, I wish I could tell you that following Jesus is nothing but gummy bears and good times. But it's not. It's hard sometimes. And, and I'm sorry for anybody that, that may have said to you in your spiritual journey that it would be that way. For anybody that, that said to you, man, coming to Jesus, you just need to come to Jesus because if you do, it's going to be fantastic. Listen, it is fantastic. It is fantastic. I would rather walk, this is God's honest truth. Can I say that? This is God's honest truth. I would, I would rather walk with Jesus in this world. I wouldn't trade places with the richest person on this planet or the most famous person on this planet that didn't know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade places with anybody. It is fantastic. But it is also fantastically hard at times. Paul said this, Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter 3. Yes, all who want to live a God-like life, who belong to Christ Jesus, will suffer from others. So I know it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. But I need to get to this. We can't, we can't quit. We can't give up. We can't throw in the towel. We can't give in. We can't sit down and shut up, even though many people would like us to. We, we understand incidental trouble, all right, we're going to all have that. Even intentional trouble is going to come into my life as a result of following Jesus. Enemy's going to come against me. When I stand up, somebody else is going to try and knock me down. I painted a big bullseye on my chest. I, we talked about that even some last week. I, I, I know it's coming, but, but we can't quit. Here's why. Let me give you a couple of reasons why we can't quit. Number one, God's glory is more important than our comfort. It's, it's, it is. It's just... God's glory is more important than our comfort. Can I tell you something? We are a comfortable people here, especially in, in America, right? We are comfortable. Tell the truth. Now, we, I, I, I am not, I don't mean to, to diminish uh, those who live below the poverty line here in America or, or say that, it, that it's easy for them or anything else. But I'm just telling you, uh, you know this is true if you watch the nightly news or ever traveled anywhere. I'm telling you that, that the poorest person in America is wealthy in 99% of the rest of the world by their standards. And I know that we all at times feel like we're struggling financially or we, we, we can't make ends meet or we're, we're wondering how this is going to happen. But listen, for, for the most part, I, I, would, I would think it would be safe to say this. All of us have what, what we need and, and then some. 
We are a comfortable people. And, and we, we like it that way, we, we, right? We like our comfort. Oh, I like my comfort. And I do. I like, I like to be comfortable. But what has happened is that, now listen to me, this is really important. What has happened is that, that philosophy, that, that idea has bled over into our theology. So that what we have come to think about God, and that's really what theology is, by the way. It's just thinking about God. What we've come to think about God is that, is that God is just turned into some sort of celestial butler in the sky who's supposed to answer our prayers and give us what we need in order to make us, ready, happy. Because we're in the pursuit of happiness. We're Americans, right? And that, that, that God is, is our great provider, which is not obviously an incorrect statement. But we've, we've, we've turned it into this thing where, where if, if God, doesn't, God doesn't give me exactly what I want, if God doesn't do exactly what I think, if, if God doesn't move exactly as I want, when I want, how I want, and as much of it as I want, then, then something then I don't understand or something's wrong or I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this God or, or, or whatever else. We're, we're ready to, to chunk it all. Because we like comfort. Hey, have you have all seen this commercial? You wake up in your luxury bed and slide out of your luxury sheets. You get into your luxury shower and dry off with your luxury towel. You put on your luxury suit and your luxury watch. You grab your luxury coffee from your luxury coffee maker and add some luxury sugar. You step out of your luxury house and step into your luxury car. Right? Uh, You're welcome, Acura, by the way. But but right? Man, (laughs) I want that guy's sheets. I want that guy's shower. I want that guy's coffee. I want that guy's house. I want that guy's car. Maybe some of the ladies in here are thinking, I want that guy. <laughs> some, uh, some of the single ladies, I mean. That's what I meant. Some of the single ladies. Okay. But, but, right, oh, yeah, that's me. That's my life. That, that's what I want. That's, that's, the, that, that's what I'm going for. And anything that falls short of that, life is not good. And, and listen, the cold, hard Fact is, God being glorified is far more important than me being comfortable. And I'm sorry, in 50 plus years of living on this earth, I've just discovered this to be true. God is glorified far more deeply, far more often through the trials and adversity and troubles of our lives than he is through the Acuras and the custom-made coffee makers and sugars and and you understand what I'm saying? That it's through the trials and the troubles, not the comfort, that God is most glorified in. And I think part, at least part of the reason for that is it's because in the troubled times of your life, that's when God is most able, he's most evident, most able to show up and just be God in your life. When you trust him and let him be God in your life, God is glorified. Now, real quickly, let me give you one more idea about troubles and, and why we can't quit. We can't quit because God's glory is more com- important than our comfort. But the second reason we can't quit is because mankind's eternal destiny is more important than our temporary circumstances. Listen, with as little bit of commentary as I can do, I'm just going to let God's word speak to you. But what we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen, is the eternal destiny of the people that you know. Your parents, your children, your grandparents, your co-worker your neighbor, your best friend, 
Look, let's start in Hebrews chapter 9. I want to show you a few. Hebrews chapter 9. And inasmuch as it appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. Does everybody, is, there, is, there, is there any part of that verse that nobody understands, somebody doesn't understand? Because I meet people all the time that act as if they have no clue what that means. It means you get one shot and then it means you're going to stand before God. Well, I, I, just, I just don't believe in God. Okay. Doesn't change the fact that you're going to stand before him. Well, I just don't think God would be a judgmental God. Okay. But his word says he's a God of righteousness and that every person will give an account. How about Hebrews chapter 10? There is nothing but fear in waiting for the judgment and the terrible fire that will destroy all those who live against God. Yeesh, that is so unbelievably politically incorrect to say that statement today. But that's what God's word says. This This is the eternal destiny for those who reject God's gift of his son. All right, let's, let's jump into the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Then I saw, this, listen, folks, this is, this is getting towards the end of the book here. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found. In other words, nobody could hide. There was no place to hide, nowhere to get away from the presence of God. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was, would you read that last line? Thrown in to the lake of fire. Mankind's eternal destiny. How about this one? Revelation chapter 21. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. By the way, Jesus is not giving a an exhaustive list of sins. He, he's, just, he's just grouping, okay? He's just saying the immoral. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the horrible destination for those who reject him. How about this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27? Nothing evil will be allowed to enter in heaven, the new earth, the, the presence of God. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There it is again. How about this one? Revelation twenty-two fifteen. Outside, outside of that place where God will be, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the immoral persons and the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Man, God doesn't seem to be too sensitive to... to what he calls people, does he? Listen, this, this, is, this is not a joke. This is where people are headed. I believe that. I, I've staked my life on the fact that this is true. And I've staked my eternal destiny on it. Not because God hates men, but because God loves men, mankind. Desires a relationship with them, but has created us to be eternal. Sorry, you don't get a choice with that. You will exist for eternity. The question is, where will you exist for eternity? Lots of verses that point to that, that destination of those without a relationship. But listen to me here. I want to close with this verse. Almost the last verse. Almost the last verse in all the Bible. The Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wants to drink of the water of life, drink it. It is a free gift. This morning, I don't know 
for every person in here about where your eternal destiny is. I don't know if you have settled this issue. This I do know. The word of God says that you will stand before God someday at a time of judgment. And that God will condemn those who've rejected him. And that's what they've done, whether no matter where that person is, rejected him, rejected his means of salvation, they're going to a real place that's called hell. A person can choose not to believe it. Plenty of people do choose not to believe it. But it doesn't change the fact, as far as I'm concerned, that's what God's word says. I don't know the eternal destination of every person in here, but I know this, whether you're here, whether you're listening, watching, whatever the case may be, I know this, I know what your eternal destination can be. I know what it can be. It can be in a relationship with God. For this life, for the troubles that come into our life, to know that God's power and strength, and we're going to talk about that next week, is available in our lives, and to know that I know that I know where I'll spend eternity. Do you know that? Trust that trouble will come. Trust that influence will occur. Trust that God will be there. I don't know about you, but I'd just as soon skip that first one. But as we heard Pastor Clay explain today, we can't. We can just trust that trouble is going to come into our lives. Now, what we allow God to do with the troubled times that come into our lives goes a long way to determining how much influence we have on those around us. We certainly heard numerous scripture verses today that remind us of the reality of hell for those without Christ. And you and I can have an influence that can make an eternal difference. Most of all, as Pastor Clay reminded us, no matter how hard the circumstance is in our lives, we can trust that God will always be there. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.